2: Right now get up to 50% off at bluenile.com that's bluenile.com
3: You're listening to Cork Today on replay phone
4: and text lines are currently closed
1: This is Cork Today Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103 Cork
5: greatest game. And a very
1: good Thursday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We have got Bernie taking your calls at 1850 333 103 and you can text or WhatsApp the programme to 0862 103 103 and I don't know how many people stayed up last night to watch our Olympic rowers or maybe you went to bed and got up to watch it or maybe you waited and woke this morning to the news that we have gold, wheel a gold medal win for Team Ireland and it was just one of those unforgettable nights for Team Ireland and in particular for the Skibbereen Rowing Club because two members of the Skibbereen Rowing Club Fenton McCarthy and Paul O'Donovan taking an historic Tokyo gold medal win it was just amazing and for anyone who did watch it live and even if you watched it I watched the rerun of it again this morning and it was one of those races where you were at the edge of your seat. Even this morning when I watched the rerun and I, and I knew they won. You were sitting on the edge of your of your seat. It was just incredible. Now we are putting a call through. We're going to be joined in a couple of minutes by Paul's mum uh, Tricia Donovan but as we went to, we were hoping to speak with her straight away but she's on another call. Obviously she's just inundated so she's trying to wrap up that call so she should be with us uh, in the next few minutes. And we also tried to make contact with Finta McCarthy's mum uh, Sue um, but we're getting no response there and I'm assuming what could be going on in the McCartney household is everyone is simply in bed and I understand and appreciate uh, that because people were up late last night and then I suppose after your son wins a gold medal it must be hard to just say okay now I'm going to go to bed to touch in the morning so I imagine that they stayed up until the wee hours of the morning but so many people so proud of what the boys have achieved and I just actually saw somebody shared it on Twitter that when they got back to the Olympic Village obviously word got back to the rest of the Irish team that the boys had won gold. They were all waiting for them in the Olympic Village all of the Irish contingency they're obviously all in a bubble uh, together and they all stood and gave them a huge round of applause and the boys then did a little bit of a lap of honour it's just one of those gorgeous little videos one of those gorgeous little moments that you think it, it it's incredible and for me after the win obviously the excitement of the win it was watching them being presented with their gold medals and watching the Irish flag go up the flagpole and then the playing of our own the V our national anthem I be the first to say it. I was crying. I just find it so emotional at moments like that to see something like that and you realise that history is, is being made here and you realise that these two young lads, and let's not take from what these two young lads had to do and what they had to do to get to that position where they are the Olympic champions. It's just, it's mind-blowing, really, the effort that goes on behind the scenes. They just, they simply didn't get in the plane and rock up to Tokyo and get into a boat and say, oh, sure, we'll give it our best and we'll win. Even though when you hear any of the interviews with Paul and Finton, they just so- sound so calm. They have this really calm exterior about them, but I wonder really on the inside, what is it like uh, for them? It, it's just it is truly, truly incredible what they've done. And actually, if you buy any of the papers today, they are just a wash with photographs and articles about the story that we had yesterday on the programme. And that was to do with Emily Hegarty, another one of the skibberine rowers and her bronze medal win, along with the other uh, her teammates, Afrikao. Fiona Murtagh and Eimear Lam. they of course won bronze in the early hours of yesterday morning and because of the time lag between us and Tokyo all of these stories all of the newspapers have gone to bed that's why there is there is some mention of, the, of Fintan and Paul there's no mention of them winning the gold in any of the papers today it'll be tomorrow all of the newspapers will have all of the photographs of that so there's great great photographs of Emily and the rest of the girls and there's a lovely story that I think I read in the mail that Emily is to be given a lifetime supply of chocolate brownies for her bronze medal win and the offer has been made by the owner of Calbo's Cafe in Skibbereen. and see me that's the cafe where Emily worked part time during the Rio Olympics in 2016 so she goes back to uh, She'll have a lifetime supply of chocolate brownies, but just fabulous, fabulous photographs of the girls just looking big, beaming smiles. They really are. They are a credit to their local teams. They're a credit to their family and they are a credit to the nation. And everybody is just so proud uh, of them and Paul's mother Trish O'Donovan joins me good morning to you Trish good morning to you Trish <laughs> hello hi good morning to you how are you oh Patricia how are you doing <laughs> I'm doing very well do you know I'm actually a bit lost for words by it all it's just incredible isn't it what they've achieved Ah, <laughs> uh, sure it's what they set out to do Talk me through last night and, and how it unfolded in your household.
2: am <laughs> sure we, were, we, we actually had a very quiet night because we couldn't do anything or go anywhere. So, yeah, we were here. Uh, my brother made more chicken sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> so he did. Good job he, bought, good job he bought a roast chicken. So <laughs> we had enough of it to slice again last night. Kept us going. Yeah, it was good. It was
1: good. Did you stay up this time?
2: Yes. You did? I did. I did. Okay. No, having sat that, between you and me and nobody else, uh, we went to bed about five o'clock until seven o'clock.
1: Oh, yeah, you were right to do that. I said that, an, an early afternoon nap. Yeah. That was, yeah. The, the, a little siesta yeah, to do, you
2: know, yeah. a power nap, yeah. Or oh, we wouldn't have been able to keep going. And actually, we were talking to um, poor old William O'Brien in the corner bar here in Skibreen, and his knee, uh, his, not his knee's. His best friend and Emily was um, on uh, in the women's four. Yeah, the night yeah. Before, and he stayed up the night before because her race was at twenty. After Gary and Paul's race was at three thirty, and he knows at three twenty he was awake, and then he slept through it all. Oh my God! Sleep got the better of poor oh, old William. Oh, my God! Yeah, and, so and we were not going to let that happen. So we had and a power nap yeah, and last night, yesterday evening. Yeah.
1: And you know that feeling when the eyes start to droop? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you
2: can't ju- stop it. <laughs> There's nothing like when sleep takes over. You, it just takes over, and that's it. You can't do anything about it. So poor old William um, was. Like, and knowing that he said he was awake at 20 past three and the racist Paul, or Paul and Fintan were on past tapestry and Emily was After that, yeah, 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 it was
1: very late. Last night was a little bit better. It was a a, a little bit earlier. Doable, yeah. Yeah, it it was doable. Did you roll every stroke with them last night? Every
2: single stroke that they took, yeah, we were there um, with them, uh, of course, yeah. And like we nearly took the ceiling off the house with screaming.
1: The Germans pushed them hard.
2: Not at all. They were never away. Jason Osborne for God's sake they'd flick him <laughs> over with their little
1: fingers <laughs> I loved it one of the shots at the end where one of the German guys put, actually acknowledged Paul put the thumb up and you can see Paul put the thumb up back yeah. as well That was
2: probably Jason Jason and Paul you see they'd be on the circuit always and ever
1: Ah they know each other well Yeah yeah, yeah. and Jason
2: is giving up now he's going to go to cycling he's giving up the rowing after this uh, he's going to go down the cycling route so he is he's giving up rowing so yeah, you know, it was his last hurray kind
1: of thing. Because rowing is it's it's such a tough sport. Everyone is talking about how calm Paul and Finton this external calmness. I think that calm inside as well, do yes. you think?
2: What? Paul is. Without a shadow of a doubt, Paul is. Now, Patricia, look back. Paul is up there with wearing an Ireland T shirt since two thousand and eight. It's nothing new to him. He's been racing most of the like we know Jason, Os, you know Osborne to see to talk to when we go out in the circuit we talk to them all. Uh, they're racing them all, other than obviously the Australians and the ones you know the Chinese and all those that come in for these big events. But Europeans, they're they're all there together, like
1: they all know each other. Yeah, they all
2: know each other. They all have huge respect for each other as well, which is the sport that has huge respect for each competitor. All of them,
1: which is brilliant. Which it is, is brilliant. Yeah. It
2: really is, and they re- i i am of the mind that if you're a sport, I mean, we see them. They're fighting with each other. They're beating each other. They're punching each other, and the you know at mat- they, they don't do that. The rowers don't do that. Well, they can't anyway because you know they're <laughs> they're in a boat.
1: Yeah, yeah. But there's that huge <laughs> it's not le-
2: physical contact, but they have huge respect for each other,
1: and of course, they all know what the work. That yeah, each other has put into it.
2: Yeah, they do. Oh my god, it's something else.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Nobody, and unless you went with them and followed them on a daily basis, you would not understand what they do.
1: And from a young age, was this always a sort of a goal? Do you think for for, for Paul and for Gary?
2: Oh, it was in their copybook when they were in school in primary school. You know, um, and I am um, I'm. Seven, eight, nine, ten years of age, and um, I'm going to the Olympics in London in 2012. They had such ambitions. They were way too young in 2012, yeah. but they got there in 2016.
1: So you know, just there all the time. And now 2020, which slash 2021. The the one the bit that really got me, and I, and I openly said it earlier. I was crying. The national anthem. I found. Ex- oh, we
2: sang it here. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Patricia. We were here in the kitchen singing it. <laughs> well, I was crying. I actually. I just got. Isn't
1: it wonderful? Yeah, and I I saw the the RTE interview with with the lads afterwards, and you know, and um, it was Jackie whoever was doing it said Jackie, to yes. yeah said to uh, Paul about the national anthem, and he said I've seen that loads. of Yeah, <laughs> and it just struck me. He has. And we when we're on when
2: we're with them. We always sing it. However, if it's only just one of us, two of us, we always sing the national anthem. And you would have all the other parents that would be in the grandstand. Nobody sings their national anthem. We always do. Yeah. The Irish, yeah and, oh yeah, and we stood up in the kitchen here last night to sing it as well. Well done. Give it its full respect. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well done. Well, well, well done.
2: So proud to wear the jersey of their country, and you see them, Patricia, they're the only country that has the tricolour on their blades, their rowing blades. Oh, okay. The only I, country.
1: I didn't realise that.
2: Yeah, watch yeah. it now. They're the um, only country that has the tricolour along the shaft of their oar, between the hands and the boat, the tricolour is always there.
1: Uh, I, well, they're I, so, yeah, so, so proud.
2: Proud of their country, of their nationality, of being Irish. They, you couldn't take it from them, and we wouldn't. And when we're out there and the, na- the flag is being raised when, if and when they do win and the National Anthem is played, we always sing it. And everyone is looking thinking, you know, the National Anthem kind of thing, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. It's, oh, there's nothing like it. And we were so sad we couldn't be there last night, but we did not proud.
1: You were there in spirit. Did mm-hmm. Ga- Did Gary make it home in time? Mm-hmm.
2: No, uh, is- as far as Carp only.
1: Ah, uh, so so did he, did he get to see the race, do you know? I,
2: I wasn't talking to him yet, no. because I'm imagining he's going to probably sleep today, because yeah. if he was travelling for 24 hours, and then from being bused from Dublin to, to Cork yesterday evening, I'd say if he did stay up, I'd say he's exhausted.
1: Yeah, like. yeah, it's a, long, it's a long journey. So, and have you spoken to Paul yet? I no, know on TV no. he said he, <laughs> he was going to be killed because he had I know, he, he is. Had. He knows the
2: like Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and do we. I do, won't kill him, you know. No, that. <laughs> I should listen. I know that absolutely. Do we know travel arrangements for coming home, anything like that yet? We're hearing that. I, I don't know whether they're arriving in on Saturday or they're
2: leaving over on Saturday. So, I, we're waiting to hear. Um, obviously, they couldn't make. They have to be gone apparently forty-eight hours after. Yeah, the
1: win. Yeah, after they're revenge, finished. You know. So, uh, but they're all traveling back together, isn't that what you what you've been led to believe? That's what I've been led to believe. Yeah, yeah, because I, 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 from what I can gather as well that that's what's happening. But again, because of COVID restrictions, there won't be a big fanfare at the airport, will there? No no, no, no there can't no. be anything of like that. No. That's,
2: no no that well, you is. see there'd be no point in leaving us driving up to well they're not coming to Cork Airport obviously they'll be coming to Dublin but there'd be no point in us going anyway because you wouldn't be left in anyway no 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 it's no. different before you could go in you could wait around the airport and whatever for them to come to departures and arrivals and whatever you can't know
1: and I heard Finton say they're going to Henley in a few weeks oh that wouldn't surprise me yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. will Paul come home to skip for a while do you think oh first oh gosh yeah oh yeah Otherwise, he'll have a tent somewhere on the side of the road. Because <laughs> 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 Bit of mammy's cooking is what's needed as well. <laughs> and there's one other person, and we, we can't let the moment pass without mentioning her. Um, Sunita Pushpour? Yes. Oh, my heart breaks for her. Yes. And she and listen, she did her best, but my she heart did. breaks for her.
2: She did, she did, she did. And uh will like, I don't know. You see, the heat and the conditions, well, the conditions, roughness wouldn't have made a difference to her because she'd have been used to that. It just wasn't her time, her time, ta- you know, which is a pity because she was dominating all the time.
1: Yeah, and she she put, say, she put rowing on the map for Ireland. She was mm-hmm. one of the first to ever get out to the Olympics. It's, she, uh, she was know, the only one. She rower. was the only one, wasn't the she, at only the start? The yeah. London in
2: 2012. Nobody else was good enough
1: to qualify. Yeah. And that the boys win, this is the one thing I love about, you know, role models. The boys win now. There'll be young boys and girls and watching girls. Sunita and watching Emily. Watching Emily, yeah. I mean, there'll be, a, a, you know, a new generation mm-hmm. going, I want to emulate that, I want to do that. And, th- mm-hmm. and that's what drives on these sports, isn't it? Well, that's what happened with Fenton. And you can, if
2: you look back on the footage um, when from Rio, Fenton and his twin brother Jake, they're sort of in the front of the, not, by choice obviously but it's the way that it happened and they were there applauding Gary and Paul at Rio and going through the semifinals and all that and they're in the picture the pairs and they they turned around and they said well like hang on we're doing the same program like we could do it they did it and poor old, you remember Neville Maxwell was the commentator at the time yeah. above an RT and Neville, Neville was crying because they had knocked on the door he was in a lightweight before back in the day and he was in a lightweight four and everyone was and they came forth and they came forth and they came forth and suddenly Gary and Paul got on the podium.
1: Yeah. Never before happened like. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, it's And I, I think it's, we're going to see a lot more of it. Please God. Into the we're an island nation. We should be good at these Sports mm-hmm. that are on the water, we really mm-hmm. should we really yeah, should yeah we are we're getting there so have you <laughs> no. any have you any plan for the rest of the day can you can you celebrate further in any way or well my
2: i I like the fellow said it without sort of being too bold um we got some um disposable champagne glasses, and we're gonna we have a great big long wall um outside my house, and I'm gonna put champagne glasses disposable ones put them up, fill them up and whoever passes can
1: have a glass of coffee. Oh, campaign. you're fantastic. You're, you're, you're fantastic. And we tried to get through to Fintan's mum, Sue, but she's not answering and I have a funny feeling she might be still in the lab which is fine. She might yes. she may have gone to bed very, very late. I
2: hear that, yeah. yeah I hear yeah. that they're gone to
1: ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah, listen. Just heartiest congratulations. We're just, we're all bursting with pride. It's, it is absolutely it uh, fantastic. fantastic yeah, and for, it is fantastic. Enjoy the moment. Enjoy <laughs> the moment. <laughs> and
2: that's all it will
1: be. Yeah. Um, know. T- until the next time. Oh, well, yeah. Okay. Paris, 2024. Los Angeles. 2028 <laughs> and there'll be many many more races in between in between that as well listen it's been a pleasure as always uh, Tr- Trish pass on our best wishes uh, to Paul when you're speaking with him and uh, thanks a million for joining us
2: after i finish finished slapping him around the head for yeah, not th- that's him, it, it that's it that's a <laughs> <I'm> mother's right <laughs> God bless I won't I won't be cool to my child
1: <laughs> you mind yourself okay. I
2: too slant to I me mean, stop
1: <laughs> <laughs> take care look after yourself Pleasure, Patricia. Uh, take uh, care. By bye bye. Bye bye. The lovely uh, Tricia Donovan, mum of uh, Paul, on that historic win for Paul and Finton uh, last night. And actually, there's another one that we can kind of claim as an Irish win. And I, I take it a lot of people have picked up on this. The grandniece of the former Taoiseach Confina for leader, Charlie Hawhey, uh, did her family name great credit at the Olympics. She won the first Olympic swimming medal for Hong Kong, taking silver in the 200 metre freestyle. She's 23-year-old Siobhan Hahi. There was a number of well-wishers from Ireland, including our own Taoiseach Mihol Martin. He said he didn't think Hong Kong would mind Ireland claiming a part of Siobhan Hahi's stunning performance with that silver medal in uh, Tokyo. And I actually spotted Darrow Breen, the comedian, also thought that the nation should take the this, this success. He was tweeting saying, we are totally claiming that silver medal uh, to Ireland. And then he did add on, if anything, uh, the family owes us, which I don't know how that went down uh, with a lot of people. But Siobhan very proud of her Irish roots she could actually swim for Ireland but she says no she swims for Hong Kong because it's the country where she was born and raised and actually she's also swimming in the semi-finals of the 100 metre freestyle. She's always acknowledged her Irish heritage and yesterday when she was asked about it she said I'm definitely aware of where I came from but she said I think I was very fortunate to grow up in Hong Kong and having very strong roots in Ireland. She said she's looking forward to returning to visit her sister actually who lives in uh, Dublin and obviously all the other family members. And I saw her cousin, the uh, doll deputy, Sean Hahi Highy, Charlie Hahi's son. He was also sending on congratulations and saying how proud he was of his uh, cousin. So we'll claim that as an Irish win as well. 1850 333 103. Uh, Bernie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Report today on C 103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 103. The vast majority of deaths on Irish roads in 2021 have occurred in rural areas, with research confirming the danger time for travel has changed since the pandemic hit. Joining me to discuss the stats from the Road Safety Authority, I'm joined by Brian Farrell. Good morning to you, Brian. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. 82% of road deaths this year occurred in rural areas. That's a very worrying figure, isn't it?
6: It is, yeah, and uh, our research department who who looked at the last five years as well in in, in terms of, you know, comparing this data to identify... Uh, any changes or any you know patterns that are different I said that you know certainly they haven't seen anything like that in the last five years it's it, it is it is worrying um there's definitely a change out there as you said the time that collisions are happening as well is changing too and it's it's difficult to know for sure what's behind it. it 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 may be as a result of our our changing behavior on the roads and 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 traffic patterns as a result of um of of the pandemic but uh yeah i i, I suppose that's that's the key message that ourselves and the Gardaí want to get out there is to make people aware of the fact that uh, the majority of the fatal collisions that are happening on our roads are happening in rural areas over over eight out of every ten um Fatal crashes are happening in rural areas, and they're most likely to happen um, mid-afternoon. The traditional um, uh, time periods of, you know, rush hour in, in in the morning, in the evening, and indeed overnight. The number of collisions that are happening between midnight and eight AM uh, have dropped dramatically, and uh, that's something we have never seen before. It's it's it, uh, it's 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 definitely, I, I would say, as a result of the pandemic.
1: Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think it's
6: important that... for people to be aware of the
1: and change. what. what we're talking about are the figures for the first six months um, little over six months of, of this year and a large chunk of that the country was in lockdown when you think about at the beginning yeah. of the year so that certainly would explain the rush hour the early morning and the late evening would explain uh, explain that so it's now it's more the afternoons yeah, and, and we did see
6: some of these patterns last year as well in, in, in 2020. They're really coming through, um, as you say, in the first half of this year. But overall, um, you know, road debts are down this year. But um, I mean, we've 73 fatalities on the roads this year, it's down seven on last year. But really and truly, you know, it needs to be looked at in the context of last year. And last year, we saw a rise in road debts. And we really did go against the grain because, you know, if you look at the, you know, 32 European countries, there were six that recorded an increase in road debts last year. The rest recorded dramatic drops in road debts because of the pandemic and, and, and the impact that that had on, 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 on traffic and, and travel. Um we were one of those countries that recorded an increase, and as a result, as well, we have slipped down the table uh, in Europe in terms of, like, we, we were the second safest country in Europe in 2019. We've now dropped to fifth, uh, so it's it's worrying as well that we're not. Really, seeing us making any significant um, drives to to push down uh, the number of deaths that are happening on our roads, and, and and I suppose that's really the main message that we want to get out across here is that we are seeing regression, and it is being reflected in attitudes and behaviour, uh, Patricia, people's attitudes towards the permissiveness of speeding, of using a mobile phone while driving, driving while tired. Uh, so and I, so, so it, it, is, it is a worry, Patricia, and I suppose it's an alarm bell that's been sounded and we need to we need to make people aware of this, whether it's complacency, whatever the, the factors behind it, we, we need people to understand that the roads are still, you know, a dangerous place and we need to take care of it when, we, when, when we're out on every trip.
1: And in terms of the gender breakdown, more fatalities, uh, more males than females. Is that always the case?
6: Yeah. Yeah. Mm, uh, Road safety is a real problem. Um, Patricia you're absolutely right and, and there's no change uh, there's no real change there in terms of you know who, who, who's being uh, killed and seriously injured on our roads it, it is it, you know they are males predominantly young males about I think about a third of those um, are aged between 17 and uh, 34 years of age so uh, you know young males are still still a problem for the, us out there on the
1: roads. The road. devastation Brian left behind uh, for the families it's just it's it's hard it, to put it, in towards. It, it is, yeah,
6: and you know, there's, there's going to be a we, we've 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 part funded a, a TV program that'll be hopefully aired in September, and uh, it it will highlight um, the, 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 what families have what families go through, what families experience when a loved one is killed or seriously injured on the roads, and you know we're, we're going to see firsthand uh, accounts of, of of exactly because I think that's what we need to be reminded of. We, you know, we we need to be reminded of the fact that it you know road crashes as you say cause devastation for families you know absolute devastation turns their lives uh, upside down and, and and we we need to be reminded of 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 what can happen out there on the roads and what is happening out there on the roads to families who are touched by tragedy on the roads but one thing is uh, you, you you touched on there um Patricia and, and I think it's important to highlight as well is that you know not everyone is killed on the road some people um uh, survive crashes, but survive crashes with very serious injuries.
1: And, and we and we uh, never hear about those. Yeah, it's like somebody yeah. once said to me, "Go into the National Rehabilitation Centre in Dunleary if you want to see what can happen to those that manage to survive yeah. a car accident."
6: Very well put, Patricia. And in the first half of this year, we uh, we had uh, four hundred and six people who suffered uh, serious injuries as a result of collisions, and worryingly just all just under half of all those were vulnerable road users so that's cyclists pedestrians and and, and motorcyclists when you when you when you look at you know the road collision f- figures for this year and you see that there are two pedest two 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 uh, cyclists killed on our roads um uh, and one death is one death too many, but you look at the number of cyclists being seriously injured, 85 cyclists were seriously injured in the first six months of the year, 58 pedestrians and 56 motorcyclists. So, you know, that, that's something that we're, we're anxious to highlight as well, That we and we shouldn't really be talking, as you say, just in terms of fatalities. We need to remember those who are seriously injured because, as you say, they're almost the forgotten yeah. uh, people. In,
1: and they can have catastrophic in, injuries. I knew when I would be briefed. Bringing you on the programme to talk about this topic and the fact that we would mention that more of the deaths occurred in rural areas. I knew immediately we were going to get texts and I can see them coming in uh, saying, what about the conditions of the road? I mean, one person said major problem is condition of the roads plus unsuitable uh, speeds. Road conditions, Brian, in rural areas.
6: Yeah. Um yeah, it, it, it's it's look for as long as I've been working in, in 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 road safety, it's 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 a it's a chestnut that comes up again and again and again. Um, uh, look, I mean, the, the same road crash data analysis, and if you look at the Garda forensic investigations that are conducted, you know the overwhelming majority of crashes that are happening on the roads are, are really down to our own behavior it's it's you know it's driving at an inappropriate or excessive speed it's 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 not wearing seat belts it's 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 being distracted while driving or driving while impaired whether that's through drink or or or, or, or drugs and it's it's you know it's not looking out for vulnerable road users it's 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 really down to our own behavior i think road factors are something like two or three percent when it comes to uh, you know Possible causing of, uh, of 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 crashes, um, and you'd be looking at environmental factors as well, like ice and stuff on on, on the roads too. But by and large, it's it's really down to our own behaviour on the roads, and 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 maybe it's because it's something we do every day we really become complacent and, and, and we really don't realise or we become immune to the risks of, of using the roads because, you know, not every little mistake we make on the roads ends in a fatal crash. And we become conditioned, I think, to accept those mistakes. And, you know, the danger is that, you know, if we keep taking risks and making bad decisions... um. Uh, it it could result in a more serious uh, more okay. serious outcome
1: yeah. okay and we're heading into a bank holiday weekend people are staycationing people need to be aware of being on unfamiliar roads
6: yeah, that's right. It's, it's stay cautious on your staycation is really the message that we have there. You may be driving, as you say, on unfamiliar roads. Um, and of course, when we're on holidays, there's a tendency to relax the guard. We're on holidays. But of course, we want people to enjoy their break. Gosh, we deserve it. Um, uh, but please just be be, be mindful uh, of of the need to, to, to stay alert, especially, as you say, if we're driving on unfamiliar roads. And, and just watch the speed. Remember, we're on holidays...
1: What's the rush? Yeah, slow, slow it down. Brian, stay safe and thanks a million for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is uh, Brian Farrell of the RSA. Cork today on Scene 103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103 With news of walking clinics for people aged 16 and over here in Cork across this bank holiday weekend, the Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly also announced that children aged 12 to 15 will be next to be offered an mRNA vaccine. Joining me with his advice is Dr Paula Sullivan of the Marina Medical Clinic in Bantry. Good morning to you Paul Hello there. And you're, you're, welcome. you're welcome to the programme. Firstly the walk-in clinics, there's one in Clonakilty, one in Bantry and two in the city across the weekend Is that a very welcome move do you think?
4: It certainly it takes lots of the pressure off GPs um, unfortunately we've been under a, a lot of pressure in the last six months trying to get all our patients vaccinated and now ourselves along with the, the, the walk-in centres they have been doing Trojan work And I think they should continue uh, trying to get everybody in. They're set up for it. They can do it all day. Um, Certainly, I'm all in favour. It allows us to to get back to the work that uh, we've been doing before all this um, because uh, there's been a huge uh, backlog of of GP work that we're still having to manage in in spite of the uh, COVID uh, outbreak. So I think certainly... um, I'm really in favour of the, um, the 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 vaccination clinics, the walk-in clinics, because we have a very good relationship with them, and uh, they're doing such a great job.
1: Yeah, and it's the 16 to 24 year olds are the age group with the most. Cover positive cases uh, at the moment so it, it's vital that they get vaccinated and we need to make it as easy as possible for that age group
4: De- Definitely um, I believe uh, Professor Nolan has, has said that uh, the vast majority of cases now are the unvaccinated and most of them are young I think current, the most recent figures the median age is 24 with 90% of the Delta variant um, in fact they, they said that 87% of new cases are now under the age of 45 um so it is vitally important now that that uh, young people are vaccinated um and as well i think um it, they should be encouraged to 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 vaccinate both for you know when a lot of the young people have been coming to see me, you know, can they go on holidays and they say, "Look, if you've got the 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 COVID vaccination, you know, yeah, once you've got that all sorted, you, you're free to go." You know, um, so certainly, I think um, it's vitally important both for themselves and for their families as well. Um, they may have younger siblings who may not be vaccinated because the 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 younger their younger age group. So certainly, I think. The, it, it, this is a good thing I think they should they should all be vac- they should all be encouraged to be vaccinated
1: Yeah, it's a good point you make I mean, we get vaccinated to protect ourselves but we also do it to protect others so we must never forget that
4: Yeah, I mean certainly the the, 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 the announcement that uh, the 12, 15 year olds uh, is very, very welcome um, they're doing that in the United States uh, they're doing it in Germany uh, unfortunately the, U- the UK has ruled it out for the time being um, but uh, certainly Ireland at the moment has caught up and is is almost leading um uh in, in Europe because we we've sixty nine percent of the our adults are fully vaccinated. Um the it's more or less the same figures in the UK. And now we're we're pulling ahead with uh getting our, our, our twelve fifteen year olds vaccinated. So certainly we it it does show the, the, the effect and uh, that the HSE is actually getting things Done and getting things right.
1: I think we've actually just hit the seventy percent now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they yeah. reckon we can be very proud of the vaccination program, Paul. Can't we?
4: Definitely. I mean, I was. If you'd come to me in the beginning of January when the current wave hit and it was almost like a cataclysm, there's no way I could have pre- predicted that we'd be here now with essentially uh, over. About seventy percent of the population, and that's seventy percent of the at risk population um, fully vaccinated um, we, I wouldn't have believed me I would have thought it could be take the rest of the year that we wouldn't reach this position till till say November, December, so those so kudos to the HSE and to the EU rollout programme for getting all this done.
1: And to everybody involved, the GPs as well. I mean, so many people have been involved in this. On the 12 to 15-year-olds, do you expect much vaccine hesitancy on behalf of the parents?
4: Um, it's always a different one. Um, I was just reading comments of uh, Professor and Butler. She said it's reasonable to pause for pa- parents to ask if, the, if their children need to be vaccinated. Now, they are looking at the, the, the need for vaccinations and looking at the figures, I think, There is um, there is a need for these children to be vaccinated, both for uh, to reduce the burden of illness. Say, for example, in school, but also there are new worrying figures with regard coming out from the UK that uh, younger children are more vulnerable to the long COVID uh, syndrome, where about ten to thirteen percent of of uh, children who who develop who are who develop COVID are suffering from this this condition so certainly i would encourage um the uh, parents to to consider that, that their the children should be vaccinated however i wouldn't be in favor of of mandatory vaccination yeah, I think yeah. that, that would be that would be completely
5: counterproductive but i would i
4: would suggest to the parents to look at the evidence uh listen to what the the Neffet and the the niac are saying and certainly i think uh, it would be beneficial for for their children in in the twelve to fifteen year old age group.
1: Should be vaccinated. Yeah and as you say you know for many of that age group if they get it it might be a very mild illness but nobody knows which of those yeah. children are the ones that are going to end up with long Covid and I also heard a 12 year old uh, speaking yesterday who made the point he can't wait to get it and when he was asked uh, he said I'm doing it because I want to make sure that my nana and granddad are safe and I thought yeah, yeah. you know yeah. they are an age group that are aware of mm-hmm. the older generation and how vulnerable the older generation are Uh, Definitely. And
4: uh, there's there's, people don't realize that uh, this age group, they're very, very mature uh, 12-year-olds I've met in the course of my work, you know, who are aware of the issues, um, who are aware of the, the problems and who have seen and probably haven't seen their grandparents for months and months. And are very very civic minded and responsible
1: which is great which which definitely. is great, and of course we 're in summertime, the children are off school at the moment. This is a good time isn't it, to start that vaccination program
4: definitely, I think um because the kids uh, we' we are obviously nobody wants to stay back to school, but this the, the kids are out they they are nobody's going on well hopefully not uh, too many foreign holidays. So it would be fairly easy for uh, parents and the kids to be brought in to be vaccinated. And with the, with the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, they can be get their second shot within the, the, the time limit for, for going back to school. And essentially, they, they're done come the beginning of uh, September when most schools are going to be open. That is going to be one less problem they're going to have to worry about.
1: Okay, all right. So it's, it's as I say, good news all round, and it's certainly. And listening yesterday uh, to Tony Houlihan, there is a sense that we really are coming out the, the, the other side of this. Uh, and are you seeing much COVID around, um, Paul, or, or, or are people we, not going through GP practices anymore? Oh, we we do
4: we we do get the occasional um, positive cases. It's not as bad as in in the dark days of, of January. Um, we. we we are watchful. We are, we are aware. I mean, Nefit has come out with a warning to say that the 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 incidence is increasing. I think that the latest figures say that the seven day average was was over a thousand when two weeks ago it was six hundred. So we are aware, and we 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 tell people follow the rules, wear a mask when you need to, um, get vaccinated if you haven't, um, and just carry on. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. And just be vigilant.
1: And if you have symptoms, go forward for a test. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay, listen, we'll let you get back to your patients and we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us, Paul. Thank you for that. Good Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Dr. Paul O'Sullivan of the Marina. Medical Centre in Bantry. 1850 103. Bernie's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp to 0862 103, 103. Uh, I was speaking in the last hour with Dr. Uh, Paul O'Sullivan and we touched on the fact that vaccines are now to be offered for 12 to 15 year olds and straight away there's a text in from a listener saying vaccinating children exclamation mark you must be insane. God help us, Uh, says somebody who obviously is not in favour of vaccinating children. And all I would say about the vaccination of children I know straight away the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has, has come out and said that there's absolutely no suggestion that for example unvaccinated children will not be able to return to the classroom but he said that while offering the vaccine to children he feels it's ethical, he feels it's uh, right but ultimately the final decision will be up to parents and it will be the parents who will have to give consent for the vaccination and will also have to attend when the child goes for vaccination but just on that one I saw that text uh, come in. What I would say to all parents out there and I'm very conscious and aware that we would have parents listening to us who do have children aged between 12 and uh, 15 and there's a very strong warning coming out to parents to brace themselves for misinformation about childhood vaccines as that vaccination programme is rolled out for 12 uh, to 15 olds. and actually I was glad to see the Chief Medical Officer Ronan Glynn come out uh, about this because they're reckoning over the next two to three weeks social media is going to be a wash with claims about and many of them fake false claims about vaccination of children. So you do need to be very careful. And Roland Glynn said, it's important to be aware not to assume that everything you see on social media is accurate, not to share anything on social media, not to share anything with family and friends groups unless that you know the data is accurate, and that the data has been uh, verified, he told a NeF briefing that childhood vaccines are a particular target for misinformation and disinformation, so you do, you just need to be so uh, careful. And I know Corina Butler from the chair of NIAC, the National Immunization Advisory Council, who are the group who have studied this vaccine and studied the effect that this vaccine would have on the 12 to 15 year olds. So as a woman who really has to be listened to, she was speaking at that same briefing and she said the decision to vaccinate 12 to 15 year olds was made by NIAC. She says on foot of what was best for children in those age groups, having taken all factors into account. Now she said the factors included the risk of long COVID and other impacts such as anxiety and eating disorders on children. Professor Butler said that Neffet will respect the decision should parents choose not to vaccinate their their children. But she said we are strongly recommending that parents who have uh, children that might have an underlying condition that they certainly should avail of the vaccine at the earliest possible uh, opportunity. And she also went on to talk about families that might have a, a younger child with an underlying condition where vaccines are not going to be possible or they could be families that have a vulnerable adult living with them who could be immune compromised. Even, even so some of the immune-compromised people who've already been vaccinated but they mightn't have responded as well to the vaccines as somebody who say who isn't immune-compromised because there's already evidence coming out on that that the vaccine while it works it doesn't work as well with somebody say who's not immune-compromised it works much better uh, with those with those people so there are other people in the household who may also need to be protected and while everyone you know talks about oh sure if a child of a 12 to 15 year old gets COVID sometimes they don't even know they have it or they're not very unwed well, but nobody knows the children that are going to end up with long COVID, or nobody knows the child that's going to get infected. And it may just be, you know, like a light head cold for some of the children. But then if they go on to infect somebody else in the household who is immune compromised, you know, there's so many other things that need to be factored into it. But just as I say, be extremely careful where you are getting your information from. And social media is really going to be a target because you've got anti-vaxxers who are out there who are hell bent on doing everything that they can to share misinformation and honest to God if I could share some of the texts and WhatsApps and John Paul will say some of the calls that we receive into the programme from people who we know are most definitely anti-vaxxers because we can look back say on on previous text messages or previous WhatsApps that have been sent uh, sent in and the amount of false information that, they're send, that, that they send out and usually what I do in the afternoon if I get any of those um, text because we read every single text and WhatsApp that uh, comes in and every single email. I normally then go online and try to find out, OK, where's this information coming from? Let's see if I can find, is there any centella of truth in any of this inf- information? And in the majority of cases, absolute rubbish what people are spouting. It's incredible. I know last weekend, for example, there was one doing the rounds and it was a lot of Americans who were Trump supporters weirdly enough seemed to be sharing it on Twitter and it was to do with a press conference that had come out from Australia from a member of the equivalent of their ne- neffet somebody like Tony Hoolan or Ronan Glynn was doing a press conference and they were talking and of course Australia are in a bit of a, a bind in a pickle at the moment because they've got such a low amount of vaccinated people and the Delta variant has arrived on, on their shores and it's you know it's going through cities like Sydney who are gone into another four week lockdown and they're so far behind on the vaccination and they're so far behind us On the, to hear them talking about the lockdowns now the lockdowns we went through last year they never went through any of that so it's all so new to them but there was a press conference given and they were talking about the number of people who had been in hospital and this guy on as I say their equivalent of Neffet or their health minister whoever it was made a statement that of the 41 people who were in intensive care that 40 of them had been fully vaccinated and the other one had received one vaccine. Now, it turned out that it was a slip of the tongue by this man. And before the end of the press conference, he was asked to clarify the statement. And he said, sorry, it should have said that the 40 of the 41, 40 of those that are in intensive care were not vaccinated. And only one had received one uh, dose. So it was completely the opposite of what he had said were the amount of people who just took the bit of him saying not putting the correction in and ran with that and then my Twitter feed when I was googling Sydney COVID got filled with these texts because I kept and I said that can't be right. <laughs> and then when I looked into it, I discovered no, it isn't right. There was a retraction made, but of course, the people that wanted to share the misinformation were hell bent on not printing the retraction. So even though it was been said by somebody who was eminently qualified. You had to go on to see the full press conference to find out what was actually the truth in that statement. So just, people just need to be careful, very, very careful. And as I say, nobody is going to be forced to give their child uh, a vaccine but the evidence is there that it is the ethical and the right thing uh, to do. And uh, as I say, the portal, somebody was saying as the portal opened, can't wait to give my children the uh, vaccine. And as I say, I heard that little uh, 12-year-old who actually went to his parents when he heard that 12 to 15 years are being vaccinated and he said I absolutely want to be vaccinated and he wants to do it and he said he wants to keep Nana and Grandad safe and even though Nana and Grandad have been vaccinated they could be immune compromised you know we still don't know with breakthroughs uh, on the vaccine and some people getting it nobody knows how someone is going to be uh, affected So parents I think particularly in that age group they're not smallies Um, I mean there's no talk yet of vaccinating the smaller children the under 12 year olds even though in the States they're already trialling Pfizer already trialling young children under 12 babies as young as 6 months are taking part in clinical trials in America on the Pfizer vaccine so you know just get the information, that's the, the whole point I'm always trying to get across to people and if you see something and if you think particularly if it's a kind of a shocking kind of a statement, usually they're the ones you need to just dig into, find out who the experts were, find out did they actually say it, what is their background, where are they, where are they coming from, do your research, do, do your homework and then you make the decision. But nobody is going to force anyone to get a, a vaccine and certainly children going to school, it's never going to be the case that if you don't have a vaccine that you can't go to school. And actually talking about forcing people to get vaccines. It's something that we haven't done in this country. We've left it up to everybody and we've been really good in this country. I think people, I think we are a a well educated group of people and people did their own homework, did their own research and realised that yes, this is the right thing to do in order for us to get out of this pandemic and to get out of lockdowns and get the economy back up and running. I think the majority of people feel the right way to go is to get vaccinated and for those that don't want to get vaccinated, fine nobody is going to force them to get vaccinated. But a lot of people are questioning what will happen if a company decides to make it compulsory. You can't work with this company unless you are vaccinated. Well, one of the first to come out is Google. Google have come out. Firstly, they're postponing the return to the office for most workers until mid-October. I mean, most offices are expected to go back in September, but Google have come out and said, no, we're going to wait until mid-October. And Google now are running out a a policy that will eventually require everyone who works for Google will have to be vaccinated and that's going to be across all of their campuses. That's going to affect a number of people in this country because Google employ up to 8,000 employees. That's in the European headquarters in uh, Dublin. Uh, Seemingly, an email went out to Google it went out to more than 130,000 employees that's how many they employ worldwide and the CEO said the company is now aiming to have most of their workforce back in the office around the 18th of October they'd initially set a target of the 1st of, de- of December but they have decided that everyone that comes back into the office everybody working there will have to be fully vaccinated and the decision seemingly will also affect tens of thousands of contractors who Google intends to continue to pay while access to the, ca- the campus Uh, remains uh, limited. The requirement will will be first imposed at Google's Mountain View, California headquarters and other US offices before then being extended to more than 40 other countries where Google operates. Getting vaccinated says the CEO is one of the most important ways to keep ourselves and our communities healthy in the month ahead. So certainly one of the first countries to come out and say if you want to work with us, you've got to be vaccinated. Now what happens to workers that decide not to? Only time will tell. 1850 333 103. Bernie's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103. 103 Jobs. Comfort Keepers. They are recruiting for healthcare assistance that's in Cork City while full-time beauty therapists are wanted. That's for maternity cover in McCroom. Teleporter Driver. Wanted for Cork City and County. And A Cabs. They're in Bandon. They're looking for drivers with SP, SV licences. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is
3: You're listening to
4: Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
1: Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now our over 65 population is set to grow by 70 persons per day. For the next 30 years, with the life expectancy of those bor- born in this decade set to be well over 100 years of age. So, with an ageing population, is it now time to seriously look at appropriate housing for older people? To discuss a book that he's written setting out the case for establishing retirement villages all around this country, I'm joined by Pat O'Mahony. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. And this certainly is a really interesting topic. And you have witnessed retirement villages in action during your time living in Australia. I suppose, start by explaining to us how a retirement village actually operates in Australia and why you believe it's so successful.
0: Well, first of all, there are many models, right? Uh, Private, public, mixed tenure. Uh, a lot of uh, private investment in them. A lot of them. Sorry, can I
1: just stop you? A second, are you on a speakerphone? You,
0: okay, I am. If you yeah. just
1: come off the speakerphone, because because I think you've got okay. a really important okay. message. No yeah. no a really important yeah. message to get to. Okay, so you're explaining the different types of retirement models.
0: Yeah, um, they, they're run by uh, voluntary organisations, by the churches, by the Returned Servicemen's Leagues, and by giant corporations such as Linley's and Stockland. Right Who build very large uh, villages that are at the center of communities close to every single amenity churches, shopping, cultural, retail, public transport, pubs, restaurants, you name it, right? And many Australians would move into retirement villages, I suppose, look in their early sixties, really, they used to move in. It's probably getting a bit older. And many live lives no different to the lives they lived when they were not living in the villages. Uh, many might take off to Europe for six months knowing their home was secure and their car was secure. And, of course, then when they live in the village, there are some communal facilities. they would invariably in Australia be, be a swimming pool. But um, in Ireland, I would see it more likely being a, a gymnasium and i know years ago you could imagine that people would think you were off your trolley if you began to talk about um, a gymnasium but uh, in fact today we know that uh, you know uh, having a, a, a physically strong body is a huge benefit to um, to everybody yeah. you know and
1: uh, uh, absolutely don't. and and the key to it though is having these retirement villages close to towns and urban areas where people will have lived all of their lives. So they are maintaining their contacts with their friends, perhaps even other family members, and everything is familiar to them.
0: Yeah, and their interests. And we know from research in Ireland, actually, some 13% of, of people over 60 live in retirement villages in Australia and New Zealand. Something like seventeen percent live in them in the United in in in, uh, in the US but uh, we know from research in Ireland that approximately fifteen percent of the population would be interested in such options if they were available we're talking about options options for living uh, that take account of the fact that people are getting older that they will inevitably if they live long enough get frail and that they will need other additional support such as home care uh, health care um, and so on assistive technology which is a huge thing in terms of extending the independent living of people
1: and you will you will hear of older people wanting to downsize for example they might have yeah. you know raised a family in a four-bedded yeah. house they could now yeah. suddenly be living alone widowed or widow widower yeah. Yeah. and the one reason that they don't want to sell up and move is that they can't find suitable accommodation close. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And in fact, the interesting thing also is that a third of over 65s live alone and 60% of over 80s live alone. And we know that people, that the research tells us that many find that their home limits their life quality significantly by virtue of the fact that it is not suited to their needs in a whole range of ways. It's uncomfortable, it's too big, it's too difficult to maintain, it's not secure, and so on. Um, So, uh, you know, the, the... I suppose the the great thing about the the retirement village is it's at the heart of the community. The people who live in it are knitted into their community. They're not isolated from the community. And there needs to be a connectivity between the community and the village. And invariably there is.
1: Yeah, it, it really is um, a, a win-win. And of course, uh, whenever you... I, and I know there's... Some older people get very annoyed when they hear of any suggestion of asking them to move out of their family home and to to downsize and all of that. And particularly if it's used in the context that we need to free up housing stock for for, for families, that not everyone will go with this. But there are a number of people who would love the idea of downsizing, moving into a retirement village, where they'd be surrounded by their peers. They would feel safer, and as well, the added advantage. I'm assuming if you're living in a big house. You're asset rich. Absolutely, there's there's a financial benefit to this.
0: But you're also maybe quite uncomfortable, you know. And that is in, that the home that you lived in for so many years. I visited an estate that's about forty years old out in in Clareau the other day, and uh, I noticed how run down it had become, you know, because it people are older, difficult to maintain, and you can imagine the comforts inside may well not be all they need to be to ensure a good quality of living for people as they grow older. And and of course there is no my my proposal and the retirement village idea in Australia is not in any sense about telling people what they should do. If you want to live on your own forever, where, for as long as you like, that's your business. But providing people with options mm. that cater to their needs as they get frailer. For example, I, 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 Irish Research tells us that I think only something like forty six percent of over seventy fives drive regularly that many people in rural areas find transport a huge challenge whereas in the city in the urban areas uh, they find security a huge challenge so the the retirement village caters to all of this and there are alarm systems that are in the in the village which uh, you know ensure that one is whether it is that there is somebody trying to break into your property or that there is some medical or other emergency that you always secure in the sense that there is somebody available to respond to you. And with the use of assistive technology, we can do far, far more. Uh, you, you hear ads on, on the radio in recent days for assistive technology. I think Nicodewire, the former Kerry manager, uh, is, is advertising a particular product. But these products can be incredible. There is one available, and I won't even mention his name, but it's nine euros a day. And the the extent to which this can facilitate independent living is colossal. Compare nine euros a day to um, maybe over a thousand a week if people are in nursing homes, yeah, you know? Yeah. And okay. nursing homes, look, and I'm not... And there'll not always the
1: nursing- be a role for, nur- for, for nursing homes. Absolutely, But people absolutely. want to live an independent uh, a life for as long as they can. I think we all want that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, and talk- by the way, just in case, just yeah. to put it a bit in perspective, I am just 75 years old, right? Okay. So I, I am one of those older people.
1: Okay, right? All right.
0: But the problem with people like me is there is no place that I can get that is appropriately designed and located. Also, if, I, if, the, if it was available tomorrow morning, there would be issues with me trying to get bridging finance maybe while I sell my own home. Do you follow? So that's yeah. another side of the, the thing. But I think one of the critical things for me of all is that there is a need to create what I can uh, call a new zoning category. Uh, where, uh, it, uh, specific places in new developments or in brownfield sites in the, in the center of towns are zoned exclusively for this kind of living. Right, because location is critical. You can only build these if you build them at the centre of communities, and there are some wonderful examples of this kind of work. There's there's a place up in in Mace County, Kildare, uh, Macaulay Place, which has 53 uh, single bed apartments. Uh, some of them rented with people paying out of their own resources; other people being paid for by the state in one way or another. They are, it is in an old convent building at the very centre of the town, in Nace, next door to the church, next door to McDonald's, next door to the pub, next door to all the public transport routes. You know. And is that and operated people.
1: by the local council, or who put that no, in place? No, it is
0: not. I'll tell you. One of the problems with it, it was established by a by a group of people, and Marguerite Solon was the uh, was the centre person in that. But uh, they, they saw the possibility. They had uh, the Mercy Order, I think, were favourably disposed towards it. They also had Anya Brady, who was the first minister for older people, I think, living close by, and she facilitated some government funding. And it all came together. But it came together, I suppose, serendipitously. And I'm saying these things shouldn't happen by chance. You know, Uh, there is a need for the state to do something to facilitate their establishment Uh, And the beauty about it is it doesn't have to cost the state any extra money, provided they put the legislation in place to protect the interests of all involved. For example, in Australia, every state in the Commonwealth of Australia has now got uh, legislation uh, around the whole matter of retirement villages, and it was even renewed, and that's since the 90s, and it was renewed even recently. There's also a need for, as I said, the zoning piece, there's also a need for standards, national standards so that these buildings are built appropriately to ensure that as people grow frail, frail, it is easy to insert the technologies that can be used to extend independent living.
1: And who so would cover I mean where would the funding come from? I mean there would be the initial well, outlay I mean, would be The huge. money
0: is actually available already. There is money available, but it's like everything else it is so difficult to find. There are no streamlined systems. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, if you have the right connections, you can get it. I'm saying this shouldn't depend on connections. This shouldn't depend on charity. This shouldn't depend on serendipity. This should be something that is available to every community to, to plan for its own older people uh, on an ongoing basis.
1: And you've put all of your thoughts together in a book that you have called Rethinking Housing Options for Senior Citizens, Retirement Villages in Every Irish Community. Yeah. How can people access your book and well, find out first more? Of all,
0: first of all, I, I will probably have it in some shops down around. I, I come originally from Miniscara, and so hopefully I'll put it in there. But anybody can get a free copy of it. In PDF form from my website. My website is retirementvillagesireland.ie. And if they Google Patomani, it'll probably take them to it. But retirementvillagesireland.ie. The reason... Now, I have printed copies, and they are available, and they can be bought also through my website for 10 euros. But the idea... I'm not interested in the money that comes from this. I'm interested in the idea. I think unless we do something now with a society that ageing quite dramatically we will end up with very serious problems and I'm not alone in saying that the head of a alone recently said Sean Moynihan said recently that he envisages unless we do something that there will be homeless hubs for older people oh, in the very foreseeable oh, future
1: doesn't, doesn't that doesn't is, bear that thinking about...
0: and you know an- another thing that because people who ran into trouble with the economy and, you know, lost their homes and so on and so on and are now maybe renting uh, from private sources, when they retire, there will be additional issues around housing for older people. So we, we have to. But it another thing is it's not just those. Uh, we, we haven't done a bad job at all in catering to those in social housing, I think. Uh, when it comes to retirement living, now not nearly what we need to do, but it isn't. We we've done something, but what we have ignored completely is the those who own their own homes, because they also need retirement village type accommodation, and they cannot access it unless the state put some kind of infrastructure in place, such as the zoning such as the standards such as the legislation do you see my yeah, point yeah
1: they need yeah and they need the options they need the, they, That's right. they, they, That's right. they need the That's options right. That's and right. I, you know and i was i was quite excited when i, I when i saw uh, your book cuz my my initial reaction was this is the conversation we need to be having we need to be having it now because i the one thing i do feel from having done this program right throughout the pandemic it really highlighted the isolation of so many older people particularly those who are living on their own. And you can be isolated living in the middle of Cork City as living out on the Bearer Peninsula in a house on a site all on your own. And we need to do something about that. And I think it really got highlighted during the pandemic. So I think your book is very timely that and that the conversation starts. Have you sent copies of it to the local authorities?
0: You, you won't believe it. I have sent a copy to every single councillor in the country. Well done. Every single TD and senator in the country.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and I have engaged with quite a number of them. And I've made presentations to some councils as well. Well done. Uh, I think... There is, you see, we have a number of very significant statements of uh, published publications in recent times around um, uh, this whole area of retirement living. For example, in 2019, we, we published, the state published, Housing Options for a ageing Population, a policy statement. And they saw that as kind of the, the, the pathway forward, if you like. I would have read it. In detail. I would also have read at least a dozen county development plans, including the Cork one. Uh, and there's a lot of what I call and I don't like to use this term, but I like, pious sentiment about this. We will support, we will facilitate, we will encourage. I'm saying all of that is getting us nowhere unless we provide the levers or the tools that can facilitate this. By that I mean the zoning. By that I mean the legislation to protect the interests and by that I mean the standards. Do you see what I'm yeah,
1: saying? Yeah, I do, I do, I do. You know, and listen, we've seen so many reports over over the years, and they just sit on shelves, gathering dust. And there's a big fanfare about the announcement of the report, and then nothing happens with know, it, which know, is which know, is frustrating. I know, I know. Listen, uh, Pat, it's been a real pleasure uh, okay. speaking to you. We wish you luck uh, with the the book. As you say, you were a native of Innescara. Where are you now? Where where's home live, now? I
0: live in Newbridge, County. Newbridge,
1: there. Newbridge. Okay. And do you get back to Iniscarra much? Have your family there?
0: Well, I'm in my sister's house in Belangolic this morning but okay. uh, <laughs> so you do have families well, and like everybody else look, I didn't get back to Inescara for the last 18 months yeah. other other than I'd be quite honest to attend my my twin sister's funeral last June 12 months
1: you know? uh, uh. so
0: I know what this isolation thing has done to people and I can see it all over and I think we have to once COVID lifts, we have to do something to ensure that we take account of the demographic developments that are staring us straight in the face.
1: Well said. And listen, sympathies to you on the loss of your your lovely twin sister. Listen, Pat, pleasure talking to you. Thank you Thank for that. You. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Bye uh, bye. Good morning bye. to you. That is uh, Pat uh, O'Mahony. As I say, his book is called Rethinking Housing Options for Senior Citizens Retirement Villages in Every Irish uh, Community. It's a, it's a fantastic uh, concept. 18 Fifty-three, three-three, one hundred three lines open. Record today on C one hundred three.
6: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
1: Oh eight six two one hundred three one hundred three. And um, we're going to Skibbereen Garda Station, where we're joined by Garda Kieran Coughlin for this week's uh, Garda file. Good morning, Chief Kieran. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome to the program. Okay, you want to start with Gardaí and McCoom who are investigating two similar criminal damage incidents.
5: That's correct, Patricia. Um, two similar criminal damage incidents in Lower Cork Street area of McCroom, where two vehicles were keyed and had substantial amount of damage done to them. Um, the two jeeps uh, were a Toyota Rav4 Jeep Patricia, and a Ford Cougar Jeep. They were parked overnight on Friday, the 16th of July, between 10 p.m. and then there were no. The damage was noticed that following morning at 7:30 a.m. on Saturday, the 17th of July. And um, anyone who has any in information relation to this can contact Macroom Guard Station on 026 205 90
1: and very possibly linked you reckon yeah
5: 100% yeah. same light same time dreadful frame. thing
1: dreadful thing yeah. to happen to somebody to come out and, and find that kind of just needless yeah, damage done it's very mean spirited as well it's horrible very
5: mean spirited Patricia substantial amount of damage done so two relatively new vehicles as well
1: so. so somebody may have seen something dash cam footage is always great for these kind of things as well somebody might have seen somebody lurking around okay from McCroom then to Bantry uh, more criminal damage
5: more criminal damage in Bantry. Um, the Guardian Bantry are investigating a criminal damage incident where a green, scored, octave car um, was damaged in the Seskin area in Bantry. This occurred between 10 pm and 12 midnight on Friday, the 16th of July. Um, this vehicle was actually set on fire, um, so it was a very malicious um, incident. Well. Um, so if if anyone has any information, no matter how small, um, please can contact Bantry Garrison Station on 027.
1: 208-60. Okay, we are in right bang in the middle of holiday times, and of course, the majority of people are staycationing at this year. Some people are going overseas, but uh, many people are trying to get a little bit of a break. You just want to give a few words about security tips if you are leaving uh, your home.
5: Yeah, exactly, Trista. Just, uh, um, just a few tips. Uh, if you have a neighbor collecting their post, so that anyone looks into the front door, so there's no build up of post. And um, so it's kind of people would see that they're away for a period of time if there's a buildable post. And um, if you leave your bins out to be collected, make sure that they're not left out for a number of days. Uh, this so, you know, this become very noticeable for a possible intruder. So it's good practice to have a neighbor taking care of, of this. And it could be your key holder as well. And also timer lights are very effective in you can look at your house being lived in the evening. So you're trying to give the perception that that you're at home.
1: Yeah, and you can even put a radio onto a timer so it kind of generates the idea of there's noise in the house as well. If somebody flicks up the letterbox, it sounds like there's something going on in the house as well.
5: That's correct, Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah and I think the neighbors our neighbors are fantastic to rely on each other now we're heading in to the bank holiday weekend. We were already speaking with the RSA who were giving us the stats for the first six months of this year, showing that the i think eighty five percent of the road fatalities are in rural areas. A lot of people traveling to West Cork for the bank holiday weekend are, as we've just mentioned for staycationing. People need to be careful on the roads Kieran.
5: Absolutely Patricia. Um I would ask people to be careful when probably this is this is the busiest weekend of the year. Um, I just would say to people just beware if be aware of W align to place of interest at beaches, lakes, woods and not to obstruct private instances. Um, this is very important um for emergency guardi like services like Guardian ambulance, fire brigades, to have twenty four access to these areas in event of an incident. And, um, I, I, you know, that's really important If there's any incidents in these areas that so we need, emergency services need to get access as quick as possible. And um, I also would say about our culture, uh, machinery, farmers, to pull in and stuff that dangerous overtakes. Um, I, I would plead with the public, you know, who are not familiar with farming, um, that, you know, to be patient on the road and um, give them time to pull in um, and just have a bit of patience on the road uh, when you're approaching them. Um, I also would like to tell the public that when people are parking these locations over a long period of time at beaches and parks and woods don't leave the valuables in the vehicles and I think a good tip is to leave the glove box open so that any eyes peering in can see it's empty
1: That's a good tip That's a really good tip I mean what you need to do is is before you go anywhere you stop and think do I really need to bring that wallet with all of that money with me do I really need that laptop do I really need that expensive camera Uh, just don't leave anything like that in the car Correct,
5: Patricia, Yeah, and I, also I would like just for people to be respectful of local residents and places of interest. And um, we've recent reports now in West Cork that people are trying to enter private lands without permission to access, to gain access to private beaches. And I just plead with the public just to be, um, just be understanding towards that. Like you know, when when private property is written or up in a sign of land. Please don't
1: enter and um, respect you know, uh, it. Just respect it. Just to respect it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, if you're going to the beach, bring everything home with you. Please leave no uh, trace. And just uh, finishing up on that to do with water safety, there's been some dreadful tragedies this summer already, Kieran.
5: That that's correct, Patricia. Yeah. Look, in the last recent weeks there throughout Ireland, there's been some awful tragedies. Um, look, I have a few tips here for people who are going swimming, I would urge people to never swim alone and always bring a swimming buddy with them. Um, I would ask them to check the tides on the beach to make sure you know they, they understand the flags are in place and they understand the reasons for these flags. Um, tell someone on the mainland where you're going and how long you're going to be expected to be out swimming. And also, when people are touring around West Cork, they might not have the local knowledge of the beaches, so I would say to them to know your currents. And look, if a beach is empty and it's a sunny day, there's a reason for it. And obviously, you know, the currents are too strong and it's not it's not safe for swimming. Um, and I always say to the people, just know your route. It's always, you know, all safe to swim parallel to the shore and within designated swimming zones. And also, I think a good tip here would be to purchase a dry bag um, that you can keep all your valuables in it when you go for a swim. So, you know, you're not going to leave them in the car and you can purchase them quite cheap. Mm. And they'll keep all your valuables with you at all times. And... Look, bottom line, never drink alcohol when swimming yeah. or even, driving to these
1: dogs. Even the smallest you know. amount of alcohol just don't yeah. have the alcohol with you on, on the beach. Uh, okay, uh, Kieran, th- and as I mentioned at the outset, you're at Skibberine, uh, guard the station. Skibbereen, a wash with Olympic fever?
5: Yes, <laughs> a wash with the Olympic village down here. So um, <laughs> we're actually delighted with um, all, the, all the competitors there. And, you know, it's great for the young, younger generation to see this all these Olympians in our area we're so blessed to have them and um, we just like to say congratulations to Finton and Paul there Fintan McCarthy and Paul O'Donovan there this morning getting the gold and to all family Hagerty there with the bronze medal there in the last few days and it's you know special mention to Etha Casey and Gary O'Donovan and Lydia O'Donovan also
1: part of the team are, yeah.
5: yeah so like this is fantastic and especially for the parish of Affadown, you know to, to to have so many inhabitants living in that uh, town, it's fantastic.
1: We're well, always saying there's something in the water in Skibbereen, whatever it is. Hang on to us. Listen, Kieran, thank you for that, and uh, stay safe. Thanks for joining us thanks very much good morning to you bye 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 -bye. that is uh, Garda Kieran Coughlin, who uh, is based at Skibbereen Garda station 1850 333 103 and uh, thank you to Philip who sent in an email um, just acknowledging what day today is and he's a man who's a mine of information when it comes to what the day who's it named after if it's a particular saint or or, or whatever and I don't always get the time to get around to reading them all out on air but I, I certainly do read them all when I'm off air but today's one caught my attention Because today is the 29th of July and it is, would you believe, St Martha's Day, which I did not realise that St Martha's Day falls on July the 29th. And St Martha is the patron saint of cooks and anyone really that works in hospitality. And I think that's for all the people back in hospitality who are now working so hard. And it also includes things like chambermaids and laundry workers and anyone at all in hospitality. But particularly uh, St Martha is the patron saint of cooks. So happy St Martha. Martha's Day to everybody working in hospitality. But what struck me was when I said, oh, St Martha's Day, close enough to my daughter Marcia's name. There's an S in there now. You know, I could kind of say St Saint Saint Martha, hmm, could use that as a kind of her patron saint's uh, day. And the reason that I was thrilled to see that it falls today, today is the 29th of July and it is such an important day day in our household because it was on this day, the 29th of July, that Marcia came to stay with us. At the time for a week she had come to Ireland on a holiday visa and she was out from the orphanage for a two-month spell and she was staying down in a house with other children that had come out of her orphanage other special needs kids a lot of them were in wheelchairs gorgeous gorgeous teenage boys they were really lovely and they were staying in a place called Clash in County Cardo and I was going down at the weekends just to help out with everybody uh, who was living there who was you know, the people the workers that had come over and the local people that were helping to give all the kids a little bit of a holiday and a little bit of a break from the radiation in Belarus which is always so much higher in the summer months and it just and obviously I had this great attachment to this little blind uh, girl and she, I used to just be with her for the whole weekend and looking after her and caring for her and I remember one weekend coming home and saying to my husband oh I think i would bring Marsha home for for the week I'll bring her home you know I'll go down on the Sunday I'll go down for the weekend bring her back with me on the Sunday and then I can you know let her go back the following weekend and I checked in with a, a friend of mine a Geraldine who went on to become her godmother to see if she'd be available to mind Marsha while I was doing the radio show and then I'd be there in the afternoons and all of that so uh, she came to stay with us for that week but it was on this day that she came home and was it slept in our house uh, for the first time the 29th of July and as they say the rest is uh, history she never went back uh, after that and we went through the adoption process at uh, backwards. So today is kind of what we refer to as uh, Marcia's gotcha day when we got her and she got us. So it's, it's a very important day. But it's also the 29th of July happens to be the anniversary of my wonderful mother uh, passing away. It was the 10th anniversary of mum's death when Marcia came to live with us. So I always think she had a, a hand in directing Marcia into our, our house. It's also my wedding anniversary. And as a complete side if Princess Diana had remained married to Prince Charles she certainly I think would be alive today because she wouldn't have been in that car in Paris that night they today would have been celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary hard to believe that Charles and I would have been 40 years married today so the 29th of July special day in our house and I'm thrilled to discover that it is also Saint Mar- Mar- Martha's Day and we'll take that as a, as a, as a Marsha anyway sorry I, <laughs> I overshare sometimes don't i okay time for me to do this the c103 cork diary
6: with the new explore cork app a cork county council
4: initiative featuring over 850 places to see and things to do
1: Bohobri National School they're holding their annual raffle and draw now it's happening at 8 o'clock this evening and they're doing it on Facebook Live this month's prize is €5,000 with the second prize of a three night stay, two evening meals at the Hotel Europe in Killarney and remember the big raffle draw happens at the end of the year, New Year's Eve that's for the four bedroom house in Killarney tickets are available from Bohobri National School and Codollary Community Development. They've got their weekly lotto draw. That's happening this afternoon at four o'clock and that's happening in the local community office with a jackpot this week of €2,600. C103's
3: Smart Speaker Giveaway. With Done Deal, for all of Ireland's trusted
5: car dealerships. Don't stop until you get it
1: Yeah, it is time for us to ask you to text us now, please. Text or WhatsApp your name and address. Uh, You need to do that. Uh, We give you about 10 minutes to register to say you'd like to take part in our smart speaker giveaway. One lucky listener will join me on air. That listener will be asked to repeat the winning phrase, which is play C103 and if you repeat that you will have won for yourself one of our smart uh, speakers but now is your opportunity to text or WhatsApp 086 103 103. that's the C103 smart speaker giveaway with done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships get WhatsApping or texting on that one uh, please okay let me go and take a look at some of your Calls and texts that have come into the program, still getting in queries to do with the the COVID certificate. Uh, Lehman Kaldari was on to say his wife got the her COVID digital Covid certificate but he hasn't got his yet even though they were both jabbed at the same time and at the same day yeah that's kind of frustrating you're not the first Liam that I've heard that about again I don't know if you received your Covid certificate in the post or if you've received it by email if it is by email please check your spam and any other folder to make sure that it hasn't gone in there I would be then directing you if it came by post and your wife got hers and you didn't um, you've fallen through the loop somehow I would be directing you then to the digital. COVID Certificate Helpline at 1800 eight hundred eight zero seven zero zero eight, but you'll need to have a lot of patience uh, to stay on hold there but I'd only be directing you there if you're travelling in the next 10 days because they are still Really flooded with the amount of calls that they are getting, and they're just still not able to deal with all the calls that they are getting. So I would be holding off on ringing now. If you need your digital COVID certificate because you want to do outdoor dining or uh, any of that, well, you don't have to worry about that because once you bring your card with you, then you'll be okay. You'll be able to go in. Go in sorry, you'll be able to go in with your card, uh, and you'll be able to. Um, Uh, go into a restaurant or whatever once you have your HSC card, the vaccination card that you have so you should be okay uh, around that but if you're travelling then you're going to have to try and get onto that helpline uh, number to see what has happened but again as I say if it is an email check and see that it hasn't got into a spam folder. Uh, Ursula was on to us from West Cork and she's wondering has this happened to anybody else please she had an x-ray at Bantry General Hospital. She said the, she had the x-ray about three weeks ago and she no results have been sent to her doctor and she's wondering, has anybody else had the same problem whereby you got your x-ray done, no problem getting the x-ray but then three week wait and the doctor saying I have no results back yet and she's just wondering is it an isolated case for her or can others say yeah very same thing happened to us in that we got got an x-ray done and didn't get the results and I don't know why you wouldn't get the results for such a length of time so if you can give us advice on that please do somebody says Patricia could you tell me please why Paul and Gary O'Donovan, why they didn't row together this time in the Olympics, why was Paul rowing with uh, Finton? and not Gary as they did when they won the silver in uh, Rio. Uh, Unfortunately, it was uh, Gary didn't qualify and they've no, I remember seeing both of them on the Late Late Show after their Olympic win and they both spoke about that they have to qualify for the boat and they qualify as individuals and then they pair them up and Gary just didn't qualify that's, that's literally what happened and they knew that there was always a chance of one of them not qualifying over the others and uh, they, they accepted that now Gary did travel to Tokyo and he went as the reserve rower Eighteen fifty three 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 one o three. Michael Collins has been back on to us when we've because um, we just mentioned Bantry Hospital to say admissions are still closed to Bantry Hospital. Oh, disappointed to hear that. Even though we were promised it would be okay, I need to check with Bernie to see did we ever get a response from the HSC yesterday when we asked them uh, for a response on it because I did see in the Examiner today a piece by Neil Michael to say Bantry General Hospital is due to lift restrictions on admissions to his urgent care uh, service and it was due to be done from today. But according to Cork Independent TD for West Cork, Michael Collins, he's just been on to us to say that it hasn't happened, that it's still closed. Well. Um, no response thanks Bernie Bernie said no we didn't get a response from the HSC we'll see if we can find out before we finish at one what's going on at uh, Bantry Hospital then some just staying on Bantry Hospital Heidi says Patricia look on the local hospital I think it's time for people in rural areas i.e. us here in West Cork we should now start putting pen to paper emailing the health minister on how the HSC is not looking at getting jobs filled for these hospitals if the If it's not filled, we will have to travel miles for treatment. We have to say enough is enough. We can't be treated in this manner anymore. Yeah. And it was one of the things when I spoke with Michael on this issue yesterday, saying, and we were talking yesterday, that they weren't taking admissions. What if somebody got sick and and needed urgent care? They'd have to go either to Tralee General Hospital or to Cork University Hospital. And if you're out on any of the peninsulas, that's a long, long uh, journey. And if you are badly in need of care, you need to be seen ASAP. We also discussed road deaths uh, this morning. A couple of people commenting on that. Road deaths and injuries on our roads in rural areas. 85% of people that died on our roads so far in the first six months of this year have been in rural areas. We were always let down by roads in rural areas. We need to have our hedge hedges cut back. We need better signage. We also need to look at pottos. And what about the amount of heavy trucks that travel on very narrow uh, roads? Uh, more money needs to be spent on our roads. And another listener says listening to you on road fatalities earlier Patricia, I'm wondering how many of those road fatalities are suicide uh, cases, those always go under, they'll go under the umbrella of road deaths but we will never know Yeah, it's one of those very sad and we will never have statistics on it because you could never know who deliberately set out to unfortunately take their own life and do it in a a vehicle. But yeah, I absolutely accept the point you're making. And a number of other people saying we need to cut the dikes, fill the potholes. That's the problem. That's why we are seeing so many deaths in rural areas. And then another listener says they, they introduced NCTs. And they said it would make our roads safer. I feel this isn't uh, working. Will we ever see an end to NCT? Well... Yeah, I, how do you how do you prove that NCTs are not working? I mean, you'd have to then prove that the car accident was caused because there was something wrong with the car. I mean, the car, the accidents are being caused. Speed predominantly is one of the main reasons people driving on roads that they're not used to and they're driving too quickly. And that's why in the summer season, when you're on unfamiliar roads, you really do need to slow it down. And then a man listener says, just a question for you, Patricia. When I was speaking about the 12 to 15 year olds, the children who are going to be the next in line to be offered a vaccine. And I was talking about one of the reasons that Neffet are suggesting that, young, that children would get vaccinated is that they would protect other people. And I mentioned about the little 12-year-old who, would, who I heard who went to his mother to say, I want to be vaccinated because I want to make sure that nana and granddad don't get sick. Well, a listener has says, as a grandparent, why would I expect my 12-year-old granddaughter to get vaccinated when we are already vaccinated? How is my granddaughter going to protect me then by her getting vaccinated? Well, I think what was outlined by Nye... Ni- by NIAC, who have recommended that children get the vaccine, is that people with underlying conditions are people who are immune compromised, even though they are vaccinated, they may not respond as well to the vaccine as, say, a younger, healthier person. It's one of the reasons why they're now talking about booster jabs that may be needed for older people. They're saying in particular people over the age of 80 and people who are immune compromised just in case that the vaccine response isn't as good because of the age of a person or because they're immune compromised. So even though grandparents in the main are all uh, vaccinated and absolutely they are protected, they may not have the same level of protection as, say, a vaccinated 30-year-old, for example. So a grandchild could come, could have the virus and could pass it on just as the vaccine is starting to wane, for example. Um, so that's the reason that NIAC said yesterday that families should consider vaccinating children particularly if they have immune compromise. That's not to say as a grandmother that you are immune compromised in any way. 1850 and just one final one in John in Clannochiltie says Patricia when I got my vaccine a number of months ago you know the area where you sit for the 15 minutes before they tell you you're okay to go there was a guy sitting across from me and he was holding onto his card and he's, he waved it across and he said to me from next year you won't be able to travel you won't be able to go anywhere without this card in your hand my god how right was he says john
7: a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times
1: in you by text to 0862-103-103 Record 103 103. today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 C103's Smart Speaker Giveaway with
3: Done Deal for all of Ireland's trusted car
5: dealerships Don't stop
1: well, I asked you to text her on WhatsApp and you did again in huge, huge uh, numbers. Mary O'Donovan is in Ballinspittle. Good afternoon to you, Mary. Hello, Patricia. How is everybody in Ballinspittle today? We're, we're fine. I mean, we light up rain at the moment. Uh, and there's a lot of rain on the way as well. So stay stay indoors, I think is my, well, the we'll advice for then. today. Okay, we, the winning phrase. What is it, please? Please. C103. Uh, you know what that means? You've won for yourself a smart speaker. Okay, Thank you very okay. much. Con- Congratulations to you. We'll get that to you. Thanks a million. Thank you, bye, bye, bye. bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Mary O'Donovan in Ballinspittle winning another one of our smart speakers uh, with a done deal for all of Ireland's trusted car dealerships. Another one of the smart speakers to give away this afternoon with Nick and uh, we do it all again tomorrow. Tomorrow by the way is the final day of our C103 smart speaker giveaway and I know lots of people. Disappointed that they haven't managed to get through. You've got another day, rest of today and uh, tomorrow. Now I want to move on for a sec because you may have heard this on the news earlier on this morning that the Minister for Agriculture, Food and Marine is on a visit to Castleton Bear and Union Hall and it's part of a nationwide tour of fishery harbours by the Minister. And on our news bulletins this morning we were talking about that visit today and actually I also have a copy of the press release that was issued from the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine and the end of the of the actual press release states that as part of the visit to Castambert and Union Hall the Minister said my visit to West Cork provided an opportunity to meet with Fishers and Fishers Local Action Group in Union Hall and with the Castletown Bear Fishermen's Co-op and the Irish South and West Fishermen's Producer Organisation. And he said, I heard directly from them the challenges that they're currently facing post Brexit. Well, Patrick Murphy is with the Irish South and West Fishermen's Producers Organisation. He's a gentleman we've spoken to many times before. And he joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Patrick. Good afternoon. J. So J. You, well. had, you had a lovely meeting with the Minister and you spoke directly to him. Did you feel he listened to you?
3: Well, I'm hoping he will. Uh, I think it's a little bit of the twilight zone, I think, that's happening, Patricia. And even though, like, we can laugh about it now, it, it gives a very clear indication of how our government and our ministers and our uh, are treating us. And this is unbelievable. Our meeting is scheduled for 3 o'clock today. And the meeting in Union Hall, I think, is ongoing now. So unless he has a crystal ball on his desk or something, um, I think It's shocking. So I'm going to put this in context for the the listenership. Can you imagine if our Taoiseach and Boris Johnson had a scheduled meeting tomorrow and before they got into a room together, Boris Johnson gave out a press release like that and how great it was to meet the Taoiseach. So what would that say about the respect he'd have for the Taoiseach of our country?
1: Yeah, and you, you became aware of it by the radio this morning, was it?
3: That's right. I heard it on the radio, and
1: then and he I fell had out of do bed. A double
3: take, <laughs> whether I was actually hearing was correct or not. Look, we had two flotillas up in one in Cork and one in Dublin. We have been highlighting the fact that we are being discriminated against as an industry, that we have been robbed as an industry, and Ireland Inc. are going to suffer from this. And like, is it poke the bear? Do they want a reaction from the fishermen or something to treat us in this regard? I think it's incredible.
1: And he it like and he clearly and it's it's now I know it's, it's it's some civil servant somewhere has done it, but they do it as in as if this was the direct comment from the minister. Like it's done in inverted commas. I heard directly from them the challenges that they are currently facing post Brexit. I also heard the commitment and ambition within the sector to build on the hard work and energy of fishers in their community, so that fishing and related activities continue to. Be be the backbone of economic activity in the region. I'm committed to working closely with them on all fronts to deliver on this a- a- ambition, and that's where it ends. Well, I suggest that you need to listen to the fishers. And, and by the way, you, I always refer to you as fishermen. Is the correct term fishers?
3: No, fishermen. But this is the politically correct. Definition. Oh, is it okay? the, the female oh, sorry. sorry in the industry but yeah. and you, you do, talk do have to the women yeah they they would prefer to be called fishermen We're that words. is just recognized so here we go but look Patricia if you just bear with me now to me this is like a butterfly effect you know like we've looked into the future and seen something. So first of all I want to bring this into context of, of how a butterfly effect can affect it. So through my lifetime and through my father's lifetime and his experience he was one of the three founding members of the Skibbereen Rowing Club
1: uh, in Skibbereen. Uh.
3: And one of the lad's father, um, Teddy oh, Donovan, Donovan, right? Yeah. Oz, and, and, and Gary's father is a boat builder. Yeah. So they stayed in this community because of the fishing industry, because his father had a job and he was able to raise. Who knows where our next roar will come from if the next boat builder's son isn't there because our industry has been wiped out and we won't have a gold medal. So I want to compliment and congratulate all that was involved there, not just Gary Noan and, and Finton, but
1: their brother Paul, brothers, Paul Lee, and,
3: and Paul as well too yeah. because they are at this for years and due to injuries they have lost out and it's very, very close between them all. And there's a huge organization there behind the, um, the achievement and Dominic Casey and, and all the structure that goes into the and and all the, And the families,
1: and the commitment that the families put
3: in. Absolutely. And, yeah, it's and, massive. and the mother was correct. Those lads are up all hours of the morning in darkness up and down the river there and, and they put some effort to get to the pinnacle and fair play to them for doing it. They weren't happy with the silver and they said they'd come back and off and them. Awesome. Can you imagine if we could bring that into our political life and into the civil service. If right. we had people like that, what a country we would
1: have! And remember, it takes a village to raise a child. Okay, listen. Good luck with the meeting uh, this afternoon. Are you going to mention that you heard what was said earlier? Oh, we'd have to Yeah, bring yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, It does. It's, it's not good enough. It's, and it's I've, I've, actually really checked, good. I've actually checked. I've actually checked. The the press statement was issued yesterday, and it was embargoed until midnight last night. Not tonight. So it wasn't. It wasn't even that it was is, is somebody, it's somebody's it's messed it's up. But it's it's disrespectful. It's, 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 it is. Listen to you first and then say what you got from the meeting.
3: Yes, but not only that, Patricia, if this is the way that business is conducted it needs to be corrected. Because if this isn't just, if this is the way the departments are handling their business and that they're meeting people who are putting years and work maybe into a project and before they ever get inside the door it's decided before they uh, get the opportunity to put to forward their case, it's the wrong way to proceed, in okay. my view. It's Good. a bigger issue than than justice, and I know we're laughing about it, but it has serious connotations as well too. And we have a very angry community here that are being totally, utterly robbed of their livelihoods. And we were told yesterday that there's going to be a decommissioning scheme implemented that's going to wipe out the livelihoods of people around the coast because our fish was taken from us, and we and we're not fighting to get it back properly, in my view.
1: Okay listen press on you're you're doing that you're you're doing the great fight for a really good cause. Uh, Patrick good luck at the meeting today thank and thank you for taking time out to talk to us. You
3: thank you very much. Good
1: afternoon to you. Bye 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 bye. It is uh, Patrick uh, Murphy who is with the Irish South and West. Fish Producers uh, organisation. 103 Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, will join us if you've got a question for Jane. Can you contact us now, please? You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. today on C103.
6: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment.
1: 862 103 103. And Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Market, part of the Ministry Veterinary Group, uh, joining me on this Thursday afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. And actually, a listener who contacted us yesterday uh, is back on to say, will you raise the issue that I spoke to you about yesterday and see if Jane has a view? This was the listener who is looking for a small little dog that would sit in the car with her and sit on the couch beside her and then she'd take him off for a little walk. Now, she has a cat and she has some hens, so she was saying she'd need a nice, quiet dog. But she said any rescue dog she felt had a dodgy past and any dogs that she tried to buy were way too expensive. And she was wondering, does anybody give away pups anymore? And she was wondering, is it because so many people neuter their dogs? You know, the way before you'd hear of a neighbour and the dog had five or six in a litter and they'd be looking for homes. You don't hear about that anymore, do you?
7: Um, Not so often. And to be honest, from a veterinary perspective, we're really relieved that it doesn't happen anymore. Um, So certainly neutering is becoming a lot more popular um, as time goes on. And I think it's really the responsible choice because it prevents lots of unwanted puppies and kittens um, entering the population and potentially because they're unwanted, having a poor quality of life. Um, So that's definitely a good thing as regards, let's say free puppies being given away as vets is generally something we we never recommend because um, if they're being given away free, it's kind of I suppose it's leaving them open to kind of exploitation and moving into, let's say, um, puppy farming markets and things like like that. But also it's really important to consider that whatever the cost of the pup initially you have to be prepared for the financial burden that that dog or cat is going to have over its life. And that's not insurmountable. So that's really something you need to be prepared for. So I suppose having the, the puppy or kitten cost a certain amount. and I'm not kind of condoning, let's say, super crazy expensive puppies like have happened in the past year, because I suppose that's to do with supply and demand. Um, But I think certainly it is kind of a barrier that makes sure that you can potentially afford their care going forward. And, and every puppy or dog or kitten or cat will need health care. And um, be that just regular preventative healthcare, or God forbid, they could do get sick. We need to be able to help them out. So it's just really important to think about that before you take them on. Um. As regards, let's say, we homing rescue dogs, it is yeah. a really great idea to be able to give them a second chance. Like, I know firsthand my own dog, Sally, is an ancient toothless terrier, and I took her on, and she is, like, the loveliest dog ever. Um, but they're not without their issues, and I suppose a lot of them will have a checkered past, and I think that's not something we should hold against them. We just need to be prepared for any problems and also to examine ourselves well do we have the, the time, space and patience to take on any behavioural issues they may have and work through them sensibly and, and get a behaviourist involved if needs be and and if that's not something that's possible it's, it's not the right choice but I must admit that there are some beautiful rescue dogs out there and a, number a of, and a number yep. of
1: listeners, when I mentioned it yesterday, a number of listeners, you know, contacted them immediately to say that they got a rescue uh, dog and mm-hmm. that they were gorgeous, you know, mild mannered, yeah. you know, just really nice, nice dogs that they don't all have. Mm-hmm. I think she's afraid of getting a very aggressive dog.
7: Yeah, I think the main thing is really to be very open in your discussions with um, the rescue centres. Like I suppose uh, personally, the, the rescue that I would have the most experience dealing with is kind of the official one, the ISPCA. And they do fabulous work and they're also very good at trying to place the right dog and or cat in the right situation. So I really think if you want to be matched up with the right right pet, from the get go, just be really transparent about your situation with the rescues when they're speaking to you. And if they have something that might be suitable and they feel that your situation will be suitable to take on a rescue dog, I'm sure they'd be happy to help you out. But if perhaps your situation might be so suitable for a dog or cat that they may have, they, they'll then have the opportunity to kind of flag that. Cause I suppose they very much have a duty of care as well to make sure that, you know, the right animal is placed in the right place for its own kind of behavioral and health welfare as well. So it's definitely not something to be ruled out. But there are some situations where where it mightn't be suitable, but um, I think rescue is the way to go if you can, to try and minimise, I suppose, extra unwanted dogs being added to the population, because ultimately it means that they they might have a life that mightn't be as great as a a well-loved pet and good health care and kept nice and safe. So the more we can do to give whatever dogs are there a second chance, the better.
1: Absolutely. 100% agree with you. Jane Imala was on. She's wondering, can an elderly outdoor cat, is it possible for the cat to get sunstroke? Obviously it's been spending a lot of time, and we know the cats love uh, the sunshine, But since the good weather, he's off his food and just doesn't seem to be 100 percent. Could the cat get sunstroke?:
7: It is possible. Um, it's generally in, let's say, dark-coated cats that are real sunbaskers that we see this in now, the vast majority of cats are actually reasonably sensible as long as they have the opportunity and kind of availability of somewhere cold and shady to go a lot of them will bask for a little while and then tuck themselves away in a shady spot they're usually quite like astute about these things but very occasionally you do get cats that really are sun worshippers and just will lie in the sun for ages and and particularly the ones that are at particular risk is the dark coated breeds. It's like ourselves wearing dark clothes on a sunny day. It just really kind of compacts that heat in rather than let's say if we were wearing a, a white or light coloured um, coat, it's similar for a dog or a cat. The darker breeds do definitely struggle and particularly cats that have maybe a thicker hair coat. So the long haired breeds are really densely furred breeds like let's say British short hairs um, the really fluffy ones they can really struggle. I think if you have any concerns about your cat and they do seem to be off food and not quite themselves, it could be some stroke, but I think there's a, a plethora of other things it could be as well. And, and, you know, any change in your pet's behavior, whether that being off food, off water, a little bit more lethargic than normal, a change is something that needs to be investigated. So normally I would recommend you attend your vet for a health check just to make sure there's nothing going on.
1: And um, particularly a cat going off food is always alarm bells because yeah. no matter how sick they are, it a cat is. will eat. They'll try.
7: They'll yeah, really they really try they're, they're feeling really well. very unwell.
1: OK, Mary in Bantry, a small terrier, regularly washed and shampooed and all of that, but she's recently noticed what she describes as little golden insects in his fur. Could he have picked up something while out in a walk? He sleeps in the gravel sometimes. Could it be something that he's picked up off the ground? She's now afraid to leave him into the house because she doesn't know what these little insects are golden coloured
7: insects golden coloured insects um so the first thing my head is jumping to generally is a harvest mite so they're quite brightly coloured um little mites that usually attach to the lower parts of the body so on the paws and on the the ventrum so along the belly um that doesn't exactly sound like what's going on here and so not quite the right time of year as well it's usually a little bit closer to the autumn that we see that happening but look it can happen any time of year There are a few possibilities, but I think the main thing is we need to make sure that this is not impacting on your pet's quality of life and it's not causing any knock-on issues in the skin. I would really make sure that your normal parasite control is up to date. It really depends on what product you have as to how frequently it's needed. So sometimes they can be needed from bang on the dot once a month up to anywhere to, to three months, but it is really product dependent. And make sure that you're using a product that's either sold in a vet or a pharmacist because that means that it's appropriately tested and we know it's effective. Um, And that may not be, let's say, as reliably true across the board if there's purchased in other places. I really think if you're noticing an abundance of these little creepy crawlies roaming around, it is best to visit your vet to get them assessed. Now, it could just be unlucky. It might be like ourselves going for a walk and there's the odd bug that's landed on ourselves and it flies off again. You might just be unlucky with happening to see them but it does sound like if you're seeing them regularly it may be a mite or a lice and that would definitely require treatment so I really think you need to visit your vet to get them checked out but make sure your parasite control is up to date but
1: there's lots of treatments there so don't so don't be panicking and Tess wants to know question Jane do dogs shed their hair more than once a year or is it just an annual event
7: Hmm. They seem to shed sometimes more at some points in the year than others, but there is a certain amount of turnover of hair actually going on the whole time. Um, we do tend to see that, let's say, when the seasons change and it goes from being very hot to very cold and, and vice versa, we do get a good amount of hair turnover at those points because that's the body responding to the heat and the ambient temperature around it. Um, and I suppose if, if it's particularly changeable weather-wise throughout a year, it is possible that you can get this big turnover over of hair more than once a year but actually dogs and cats do have a continuous turnover. So their hairs are constantly on kind of a growth and then a dying off cycle. Um, so a normal amount of hair shedding onwards is, is quite normal. The one thing I would say is if you're noticing more hair shedding than normal and you're having to brush it out more than normal, let's say, um, let's say if you would have to brush them, let's say, Every second week or once a month, and you'd get a little bit of hair, and now you're getting a load out. It might be that your pet um, is is becoming, let's say, less flexible, so they're less able to groom themselves, particularly in the case of a cat, um, so that the the usual kind of grooming and scratching and and licking of the hair that they would might normally do that would assist in the shedding um that might not be taking place if they're feeling a little bit uncomfortable or inflexible so it's just a good indicator as well as an early warning size sign for any discomfort or inflexibility that they might be having so it's just important to think about that as well
1: okay at what age do you start giving flea and worm doses to a kitten the listener wants to know
7: to a kitten. It depends on the product but generally I would say from about 10-12 weeks of age they would definitely need some kind of flea mite lice treatment. They would need wormers much much earlier on in life from two weeks of age would be appropriate to prevent any kind of roundworm build up. So it depends on the product if you need advice on it. Normally vets and vet nurses are more than happy to give advice and guidance on this because it really is the bedrock of Good preventative healthcare um, and making sure that your puppy or kitten has a really good start in life. So we're happy to help.
1: And staying on fleas. Somebody wants to know: Can you get a flea tablet for dogs, and what is the best product to use?
7: You can get a flea tablet for dogs. There are a number of ones available. I know the one that we we tend to use here is a product called Bravecto, but there are plenty of other tablets on on the market that do the same job. But the important thing is there are also flea tablets on the market that you can buy outside of a vet or a pharmacist and they're not as reliably effective or safe so they don't go through the same rigorous testing to make sure that they work every time and to make sure that they're safe every time in the same way as let's say a prescription only medicine would do so just make sure that if you are purchasing a flea tablet you do it from kind of a a source that would have access to those products so from a vet or a pharmacist but there is, a there is a but tablet in there really available. handy yeah okay there listen is. we leave it
1: there have a great week and uh, we'll talk to you next Thursday thanks for that Jane thank you bye bye that is Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital part of the Mill Street uh, Veterinary Group that's what I've got to leave you for today and we're back with you tomorrow morning at, at 10 o'clock on to then, I'm Patricia Messenger thanks to Bernie
7: Murphy for producing